title of the sermon is Living as the Beloved. Matthew 17, it says, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. This is the word of the Lord. So the cloud of light is around them, and it's so disorienting that they can't see. And as the swirl of glory envelops them, and terror and wonder grip their hearts and confusion as well, there's a voice. I imagine the voice as being in three dimensions, like all around, like the uh, Dolby Atmos surround sound at the Milford Theater that I just went to see the other night. All around the voice. And what is it, what is it that God wants to talk about? What is it that God has? What's the most important thing he could say? Like if you could go up the mountaintop and meet with God, what is it he wants to talk about? He wants to talk about Jesus. Amen. He wants to show you inside his heart the, the, the eternal love dance, the eternal dance of love that's always been occurring. Before he made anything, there was this, because you know, if God is love, that means he's never been alone. If you were completely alone, you would start to become less human yeah. long enough. You guys remember the, show, the movie Castaway? How weird would it be to try to figure out how to relate to, human, to, to other people, to give and receive love again when you've learned to be alone, only in survive mode? And God's never been alone. He's always been a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a permanent dance of overwhelmingly strong, passionate, satisfying love. And the love was so full that they said, we need children to share this with. So they made a universe. What is it that he says? He says, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased Listen to him. Pretty simple. It's really important that we more recently adopted sons and daughters because that's what every one of us is, adopted sons and daughters. It's really important that we recently adopted sons and, sons and daughters begin to unlearn the things we've learned in our families of origin and learn how things are in our adopted family. It's really important. And on the mountaintop, we get a glimpse inside the family culture. The relationship between the father and the son. And we who are in Christ, make no mistake, friends, we're being drawn into that relationship. And how? How are we drawn in, Tim? Tim, how do we get drawn in? We are drawn in bit by bit, piece by piece, little by little, as we learn to listen to Jesus. That's how we're drawn in. But we must learn to listen to Jesus. Yes. 
And how will you learn to listen to Jesus if you don't take time to listen to Jesus? This last weekend, my friend Carolyn talked from John chapter 4, and she noted that the Samaritan woman at the, at the well was offended that Jesus offered her water when she was drinking from Jacob's well. Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? She, she only knew about drinking borrowed water. She didn't have her own well. And, she, and Jesus says, if you knew, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who is with you now, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Whoever comes here to draw gets thirsty again, has to keep coming back. But the water I give will become in you a spring welling up from within you to eternal life. You'll never thirst again. She, did, she didn't know she could drink directly from the source, and instead, she was always secondhand. For us, the application is we're always listening to Bethel podcast, always listening to Stephen Furtick, always listening to the latest thing, another podcast, another thing, another book, another conference, another thing, Pastor Tim, whoever, instead of the Lord himself who is with you, your own Bible, your own Holy Spirit, your own relationship with Jesus, your own living water, not Jacob's well, you're well. Come on, somebody. Nothing wrong with taking a drink from Jacob's well, but there's something wrong not having your own well. You'll learn more in the silence than in the noise. She didn't know she could drink directly from the source, so she was always content to be secondhand. Friends, Jesus himself is with you, and it's time for you to get thirsty. It's time for you to get thirsty. It's time for you to get thirsty. It's time for you to ask out of that thirst, to ask, to ask, to ask. Give me the living water, Jesus. It's time to find your own well. I told my children Thursday night that just because their dad's a preacher and their mom's godly and just because Kate and Pete are the youth pastors doesn't mean that they are actually exercising faith. I told them that their whole, but my whole goal, our goal for them is for them to have their own relationship with their own Jesus and their own Bible and their own living water and their own daily time with God. I said, you kids need to dig your own wells, not depend on mom and dad's wells. My friend Carolyn, again, she said she's a leadership coach. She coaches Christians that, she said, you guys, I coach mature Christians, but they come to me. She said, 90% of these mature Christians, 90% of these mature Christians don't have a regular daily ritual of seeking God. And then they wonder why. They're going through the struggles and troubles and emptiness and confusion and depression and despair and mayhem. All right, back to our belovedness. The identity, the affection, and the approval that the Father proclaims over Jesus on the mountaintop, this is my son, that's identity, whom I love, that's affection and worth. I'm pleased with him, that's approval. The identity, the affection, and the approval that, that the Father proclaims over Jesus, once I'm in Jesus, is mine. By nature and merit, Jesus alone has those. Only Jesus. 
by nature and merit has all three of those. You and I, by nature and by, in other words, how we were naturally and what we deserve, that's not, we don't deserve. We don't deserve this is my son, the beloved. I'm well pleased. We deserve, depart from me, I never knew you. That's what we deserve. We deserve the cross he took. But why did he take the cross, friends? He took the cross because when he looked at you, he didn't see trash. He didn't see what you deserve. He saw what you were worth. He didn't see sinners. He saw lost sons and daughters. He took what I deserve because of what I'm worth. I need you to take this revelation in and soak it in deep and get it way down to the roots of what's motivating you in your identity and all, all of life. You are the beloved of God. You are worth the blood of Jesus. You are the will of God on planet Earth. You're not a mistake. You're not a problem to be solved. Are you with me? So by nature and merit, Jesus is all in, and by nature and merit, we're all out. But God made us one with Jesus to make us all in. Jesus said, as the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Wait a minute, let me get this straight. You deserve that love. We didn't, but that's how you loved us? You loved us, Jesus, as though we were perfect? That is correct. Always has. Always does. See, the gospel has to transform our identity at the deepest level. Has to transform our identity. Has to. It has to also then transform my way of relating to God the Father. Has to. Must. And the way I relate to the Father has to be centered on hearing and believing what he is saying to me, not what I think he might be saying. The process is transformative. The process of knowing who you are, relating to the Father the way Jesus revealed, and genuinely listening to Jesus. Powerful and transformative. There's a lot of people that pray to prayer to get to heaven, and they're not going to heaven. They weren't changed. They weren't transformed. They never knew him. They've just, they were in church now, but they're in hell later. They prayed a prayer and signed a card. They believed an idea with their brain, but their heart didn't receive it deeply, and it didn't transform them at the motivation level. So when life happens to them, they look just like the person who never prayed a prayer, never signed a card, never went to church. It is imperative that we genuinely let this gospel in. Jesus says, the Father himself loves you. In other words, Jesus is saying, he's not just my dad, he's your dad. The way he loves me is not just for me, it's for you. I'm, th this is what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. It's to learn from Jesus how life works. He's not minister of afterlife affairs. He's Lord now. Like, I honestly think we shouldn't be proclaiming Jesus as the sin forgiver. We should be proclaiming Jesus as Lord. Because if he's not your Lord, I doubt you have him as your sin forgiver. Somebody can nod. He is my Savior, but if he's not my Lord, it's really likely that we're not going to have him as Savior. If he, is, he, is he a rabbi? Are you learning from Jesus how life works best? Is he the genius? Do you trust him more than you? Come on, God. 
So here's a revelation that absolutely changed my life. A couple years back, it was a lot of years now, a friend of mine named Nate, who's now in heaven, and a friend who's, and, uh, whose name is Bob, who's still on earth, they led me in some praying, and they, they, they had me ask God a question that was terrifying to me. And it's this question, Father, how do you see me? Father, how do you see me? And I looked at them and I was like, do I actually have to do this? Why, are you, why do you hate me? Why would you make me do this? I was braced for impact. I was scared. They were smiling. I was nervous. They were calm. I felt that I fell so far short of God's standards Though I was trying, in so many different areas of life, I felt that I was not enough. I felt that what I was about to hear was exactly how I was disappointing God. That's what I expected to hear. Okay, I guess if I'm serious about following Jesus, I can take the hard stuff too. Hit me. Hit me. I can take it. Truth is, you know, okay, all right, all right, I can take it. Felt like I was going to get a spanking. And I also remember feeling bad for them, for Nate and Bob. Like, they're sitting here for an hour in silence while I'm internally praying, and they're just sitting there and nobody's saying anything. I'm like, there's nothing entertaining happening. I, I, I just didn't feel like I was worth their time. I just said we're worth the blood of Jesus. If you're worth the blood of Jesus, you're worth a little time. You're worth my time. In fact, I got nothing better to do. The neighbor across the way who's renting the house, one day he was talking to me about life stuff, just trouble stuff, stuff. And he said, ah, you, you, you got stuff to do. You're, you're busy. You ain't got time for this. And I looked at him. And I said, no, you need to know this. I literally have nothing more important right now. I have nothing better to do. This is a priority. He goes, oh, okay, fine, fine. And then finally he's talking and he's talking. We talked for an hour. Finally, I said, can we sit down? No, he's the one who said that. He said, can we just sit then? The one, once he realized I was serious and he unloaded. When he was done, he, we went in near strangers. He went out hugging, crying, praying. I don't know if he knew God before that, but he encountered God right then and there. Do you see what I mean? I didn't lead him in a sinner's prayer. I gave him the kingdom. All right. By the way, there's nothing wrong with a sinner's prayer. It's just, come on, man. Is that, your, is that what evangelism looked like for Jesus? No. Can't find a single time in any of the Gospels he led anyone in a sinner's prayer. He gave him the kingdom. Give him the Father. Manifest love. Don't manipulate them to doing a thing so we can feel good about our thing because we feel obligated out of guilt to do a certain practice the church trained us in that the kingdom never trained us in. Give them the kingdom. So anyway, I gulped. Oh, I got to really ask this. Father, how do you see me? And then I braced for impact. And you want to know what God said? You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. 
See, he's not judging us by laws. He's viewing us through the covenant with Jesus. And it's not a fiction. He's not imagining it. He's not pretending. That's actually his heart. You are his child. You are the beloved because you're in the beloved. Like Ephesians 1, 6 says, that he's lavishly poured out his grace on us in the beloved. Because you're in the beloved, you are the? One, one response. I'll take it. Because you're in the beloved, you are the? That's a little better. It's a little better. Still a little weak, though, guys. Guys, the gospel is a total mind wipe. It is a, it is a, it is a delete the hard drive and reinstall the operating system. The former owner has been bought out and everything must go. I've come to believe that our entire Christian life is lived from love, not for love. From approval, not for approval. If we get it flipped, if we start living for love and for approval, it becomes religion. We become the older brother slaving away in the father's house with no clear vision of his heart. I'm talking about Luke 15. He's furious that God is so gracious to the rebel because I've done all this. Where's mine? I've been with you all this time and everything I have is yours. If we get it flipped, if we live for love, for approval, instead of from love, from approval, we will resent the Lord and we will not let his love in. It'll never be enough. If we keep it straight, if we keep it straight, there's a word for it. When it happens to a person, we call it renewal, personal renewal. When it happens to a whole group, we call it revival. All revival is, is the gospel doing what the gospel always does when people believe it. Just when revival hits, it happens in greater numbers. If we keep it straight, we're like the younger brother, dancing to the music of the father's party. I've been saying this for years now, but on that back wall, I want the words... And so the party began. Because I want all of us up here to know what we're all about. This son of mine was lost and he's found. He was dead. He's alive. He was far away. He's come back. See, after our ancient parents ate the fruit, they looked down at their nudity and they said, uh-oh, that ain't good. And the instantly they begin to patch together some sort of covering to hide from God what God already knew and loved, but what they didn't love, namely themselves. Amen. And that's what we've been doing ever since. Amen. Trying to patch together something to cover over what we don't love. Namely, ourselves. Maybe if I can get them to love me, they can convince me to love me. Maybe if I can convince God to love me, maybe then I'll feel okay. Desperately trying to prove our value. 
So God the Father, it says, made Adam and Eve coverings of skin, and all the early church fathers freaked out and said, it's Jesus. The covering God provides. And Paul agrees that in Genesis 3, the coverings of skin is Jesus because he says that all of you who are baptized into Christ have put on, have clothed yourselves with Christ. The righteousness that God provides. That brings us out of our shame and into his affection. Out of our, I don't know who I am, into I know whose I am, so I know who I am. And if I know whose I am and who I am, I for the first time know why I am. And for the first time, I can see you now for who you really are. Even if you don't. Even if you're sinning against me and have lost your mind, like Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They what? They don't have a clue. But he had a clue and it took him to the cross because he never lost sight. Boy, I'm preaching today. I'm feeding my soul with truth. All outward fruit comes from inward roots. And so what is it that sets the cap on our transformation? We were over at, uh, what was the pond we tried to fish at, Israel, and I didn't, I didn't have fun? Was it Hearn's Pond? They have a spillway. It's not, it's a, we caught broken fishing line on sunken stumps and rocks. I appreciate the vote of confidence in our incredible skills there. That's super encouraging. It looks to me like you have a new fishing partner, Israel, someone who knows how, and that's not me. The spillway has something called a floodgate. It's a huge screw drive, right? You, you turn this thing and it lifts the gate to allow the water in the, in the pond, or Leah, it's a lake, out. It's a, to me, it's a lake. Is it a pond or a lake? It's called a pond, but it's a big lake or pond for me. It's a pond, I guess. All right, fine. Okay, we're, 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 we're doing the thing I do where my ADD takes us way off mission. Let's get back on track. There's a floodgate is what I'm saying. Now, you get to decide how much of that water you let into the stream. You get to decide that. There's way more there than you could ever drink. But you get to decide how much you let in. God is not the one setting the cap on how much transformation is happening in your life. You are. I am. We are. There's a floodgate that we get to choose to shut or to open that allows his love in to really touch us, to really saturate us. And we do things like, I don't deserve it, so I don't receive it. Well, today I was a good boy, so now I'm going to let myself feel your love just a little bit. Well, I prayed really hard for revival, so now I'm going to allow you to move. Guys, all this religious stuff we do to get God to move isn't to get God to move. It's to get ourselves to, little, to squeak open our floodgates just a little more. He's not holding back. We are. Revival could be this moment. If you just believe the gospel, the floodgate opens by faith. We don't fast it open. We don't pray it open. We don't earn it open. We believe it open. It's the finished work of Jesus. Now, let's calm down. The prayers do matter. 
The fasting does matter. The asking, the seeking, and the knocking does matter. But we're not making revival happen. We're getting the deception out of our floodgate, our mind, to allow what he did on the cross and in the resurrection to do what is natural for the gospel to do. Revival is our natural condition. So, renew our minds, Lord, right? Renew my mind, Lord. Renew the eyes of my understanding. Enlighten the eyes of my heart. Give me the power of the Holy Spirit to know this love that passes understanding God. Only God can reveal God. So would you give me a spirit of wisdom and understanding to know you, right? Show me the truth, Father. What is keeping my floodgate closed? What in my heart is blocking the flow of your love from me, God? What is raised up against the the message that the cross is trying to proclaim over me? What am I seeking life from instead of you? What are my empty wells? What are my fig leaves? See, when we put on Christ's righteousness, we have to also take off the fig leaves. The fake self, the ego, the pride, the insecurity. Oh, my word. Insecurity is a form of pride. It's still valuing your opinion about you more than God's opinion about you. Dude, I've been doing this for years. You know how many? I've been arguing with God over my calling to be a leader in the church for years. He's, He's sick of it. I called you, boy, but I'm not enough. I'm not the right guy. Pick someone else. I'm not good at this. Dude, I never wanted leadership. This week he said to me, a great man doesn't seek leadership. He's called and he responds. You know, insecurity is a form of pride. I don't trust me. I trust, I trust him more than me. I'm sorry, the way around. You got what I'm saying. The fake self, the ego, the pride, the insecurity, the boasting of what I have done or the boasting of what I haven't done. Oh, this is the fake self. The despair over my failures. You know what else he said? I said, I said what, what am I believing wrong here? And he says, you believe that failures make you a failure. Well, that seems logical. Well, then what's the truth, God? And he said, the truth is you don't fail unless you quit. And then I said, where did I learn that? And he goes, school. <laughs> See, I've been learning over the past few years. It's been a humbling process, guys. It's been a humbling process, and I've been learning to bear with a little shame. It's good for the soul to bear with a little shame. Sorry, Brene Brown, you're wrong. It's good for the soul to bear with a little shame. I've been learning to identify these deeply painful, false sources of identity, value, and approval. When I feel like a failure, you know what it exposes. I'm rooted in the wrong thing. So bearing with a little shame is a healthy saving process. Paul, because of the exceeding great nature of the revelations given to him about the gospel, there was also given him a thorn in his flesh to keep him from being puffed up. His strengths were, his, were, were the danger to him. His weaknesses were his grace that saved him. Your strengths, what you're good at, what you're able to do, what you're, what you're successful in, are more likely to seduce you with being independent of God. It's the points of your weakness that drive you into his grace. 
into his love, into an identity that's not from you, it's for you. It comes to you from him, not, not, are you with me? See, it's more important that we understand that even our gifts that we think we're offering to God are actually God's gifts to us. But it's in suffering that we begin to finally realize these things. When we pull up the, the bucket from the well and we realize there's nothing in there but dust. Oh, I guess that's an empty well. And suffering exposes those things. The process is painful. Right now, if you hear everything I'm saying and you're like, I already know this, Tim. I already know all this. I already know he loves me. I already know this stuff about identity and value. I already know about this stuff. I already know about hearing his voice. Well, John Wesley knew about it too. He preached a God of love for like years before he ever actually believed it for himself. There's a big difference between knowing the words and knowing the ideas and having the reality. It's called the fluency illusion. It's the illusion that says, now that I know how to spout back to you the, 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 the same words, I can get, it's the, I, know how I'm, I know because I aced the test. Ace the test don't make you able to do it in real life. Right? Every, every construction crew knows the difference between an engineer who's actually worked in the field or not. There's a reason they have doctors do an internship instead of come straight out of books into cutting people open. There's a difference between knowing about something and knowing a thing. The centerpiece of all Christian spirituality is exactly what we're talking about right here. Surrender to love. The point of all the stuff we're doing is to connect us to this love. You know that, right? And the point of all Christian spirituality is a surrender to love. And the centerpiece of the gospel, I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. I am loved by the Father. Before I do anything to earn it, I'm loved. After I've sinned so much that I know I don't deserve it, I am loved. After I've been so hurt by others that if you saw me in the spirit realm, you'd see post-it notes all over me, labeling me with lies, I'm still loved. Now on the post-it notes, man, you got to get them off. They say things like dirty, unworthy, rejected, not enough, failure. And if you think that what I'm talking about today is soft and, and sort of psychobabble and weak and girly then I guess you're just not manly enough to get free. Come on, somebody. This is man's stuff. This is strength. When you've had enough, when you've had enough, maybe, just maybe, maybe you'll get fed up. Are you fed up yet? I want you to get fed up. I need you to get fed up. Fed up enough to rise up in the zeal of a warrior. Make a scene if need be. Make a fool of yourself if need be. And lay hold of God. I need somebody to, to say, no, enough. Enough of these lies. Enough of these grave clothes. I'm not taking the bait anymore. I'm believing God. See, the Father's voice will strip off those post-it notes. 
He puts new truths on in their place. He says things like, clean, worthy, accepted, enough, you're enough. He says things like, more than a conqueror. You can tell who we've been spending time with, what voice. Sometimes it's important that we acknowledge the spiritual resistance that we've been facing in the heavenly realm. Guys, there's an enemy of our souls. We don't talk about him a lot in here. We, I don't really spend much time talking to him either. But I'll make an exception today. Public service announcement for all demons who may be listening. I will do God's will with my one life. I will stay the course. I will respond to God's call. I'm believing God. Jesus will make you bow down and acknowledge that I'm the one he loves. Prove me wrong, you lying devil. Prove me wrong. You cannot undo the power of the blood. You cannot stand in the court of the Almighty if God be for me. Okay, public service announcement over. It's time to get fed up. It's time to redig some wells. It's time to go after some living water. Go ahead and stand. Prayer team can come forward. Put on some uh, pretty music. You can either come forward and make sure you get prayer, or we will wander around. But the spirit of prophecy is upon me in great measure. And I know that this is a house in which that gift flows. Here is your benediction. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Amen. Let's pray. If you do not wish to be prayed for, you are dismissed. Otherwise, let's go.